This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Are you ready to move your career forward? Make your comeback with Purdue Global and get college credit for your work, school, life, or military experiences. With these credits, you may have already completed up to 75% of your undergraduate degree. You've worked hard to get where you are. It's time to get the recognition you deserve and earn a degree you'll be proud of, one that employers will trust and respect. When you take the next step in your life and career, make it count with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Looking for hair removal tools that not only deliver smooth results, but also make you feel totally in control? Enter Conair Girlbomb. They're like your secret weapons for smooth, sleek results. Made just for us. From the ultimate Girlbomb grip to the professional-grade blades, say goodbye to settling for less. With Conair Girlbomb, you get the precision and power that used to only be exclusive to men's tools. So take your hair removal routine to the next level. With Conair Girlbomb, available at Walgreens. Hello, and welcome to Food Stuff. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today. And today. And today we're, we're doing the episode on pot edibles. Right. Because it had to happen at some point, y'all. It did. And what better day to release a. An episode about pot edibles than 420. I don't even like marijuana. And when I realized that we were publishing an episode on 420, I got so excited. <laughs> yeah. Just about the, like, pun almost. We're, we're middle schoolers at heart. Yes, absolutely. And speaking of puns, I think that we're just going to have to get some out of the way. Yeah. Get it out of our system? Uh-huh. Okay. Okay, I'm I'm ready. Okay. Okay. Well, the first two I just like. The wacky tabacky. That's my favorite. The <laughs> devil's grass. Uh-huh. But we're gonna take the high road. Oh. Yes. <laughs> For our fully baked super dope joint production weed to know guide on edibles. <laughs> just two buds talking about <laughs> pot brownies and so much more. All right. <laughs> we can't promise that. It's all out of our system. No. But that that's a big chunk right oh, there. Man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, d- disclaimer, of course. Yes. Uh, use drugs responsibly and legally for, for your area and age and et cetera. Yes, absolutely. 
Um, and this is another episode where we got to talk to someone super awesome. We got to sit down and talk to Becca Grimm of Dope Girls, which is a zine series about destigmatizing weed and a whole lot of other cool stuff. Um, and their main operation is right here in Atlanta, Georgia. So you'll get to hear some of that at the end of the episode. Right. But first. But first. Marijuana edibles. What is it? What is it? Well, in specific, we're talking about foods and drinks infused with marijuana. Marijuana being one of the common names for psychoactive drugs produced from a species of leafy flowering plants in the cannabis genus. These plants secrete a number of compounds that mess with your brain chemistry, primarily cannabinoids, and among those, primarily tetrahydrocannabinol, or THC. Though about a hundred cannabinoids may have joint effects together. Joint, joint uh, effect. Oh, uh, I didn't even realize until after I wrote it. Those secretions mostly come from glands on the structural bits of cannabis flowers. So if you, like, not like the petals, but like the kind of greeny bits that are sort of supporting the petals. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm gesturing and it's not helping you guys. I'm sorry. So if you harvest the flowers or the buds, you can process them to extract the cannabinoids. Processing generally involves heating the buds in an oil because heating transforms the precursor of THC, which is not psychoactive, into THC, and in oil because THC and other cannabinoids are oil-soluble. Yes, and this is kind of something of frequent debate uh, in the pot edible, weed edible Industry, or probably more among people making their own, sure. is whether or not you can use the raw leaves versus you need to put it. Uh, most people uh, heat it and put it in butter, can of butter, sure. and cook with that. Yeah. Um, and whether or not you can get high if you don't do that. So some of the compounds that have an effect are definitely still uh, available right. or, or bioavailable in, in the, the raw uh-huh. uh, leaves and, and buds. But, you know, mileage may vary. Yes, it may. Um, Marijuana is illegal on the federal level in the United States, but illegal either medicinally and or recreationally in a handful of states and Washington, D.C., with varying amounts you're allowed to sell and possess. Uh, Recreational, I think, is nine states plus D.C., and there's 20-some other states that allow medicinal usage, I think. Every article I read had different numbers. It's a mess. It's very confusing. Uh, In general, most states that have legal marijuana do not permit you to smoke it in public. But you can get away with eating or drinking it, though it may not be technically legal. It's a little Uh, bit more on the proverbial DL. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, So edibles have become a popular choice. Edibles, sometimes also popular because smoking is bad for you. You know, cigarettes, weed, campfires, that steak that you're browning on your stovetop, smoke from all of these things is bad for you. So there is certainly a perception that edibles are healthier than smoking. The the actual breakdown, I mean, smoking is bad, but the actual breakdown of health one way or another is something that needs a little bit more research. Yeah. In places where marijuana is legal, you have way more options than the pot brownie. You can get blondies, for one, <laughs> cookies, cakes, including zucchini cake if you're looking for a healthier way to get your buzz, Cupcakes, fudge, jam, jellies, gummies, tea, caramel, ice cream, lollipops, soda, lozenges, fig bars. I uh, haven't seen that flavor of Fig Newton before. <laughs> Get on it. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet things are not your only option either. There's a whole world of savory for people in the industry to explore. 
GQ reported on a secret event at Roberta's, the pizza place in Brooklyn, that involved, and I'm terms are a bit loose here, uh, marijuana pesto sauce, a pot gin sour, uh, and it was a drink that started out fancy, but eventually, as the night went on, was deconstructed to gin and marijuana tincture. <laughs> um, a pot take on the painkiller, which is similar to a pina colada, but in this case, it's got marijuana. Uh, a salad finished with marijuana oil, bluefish with marijuana oil, pizza with hemp seed dough, marijuana marinara, finally combining pot and pizza into one step instead of the inevitable two. <laughs> um, there was an amazing-sounding ultra-fancy dessert involved as well. Um, worth noting here, this sounds like a lot of weed. Who? yeah. But according to what I read, the flavors were mostly subtle or complimentary and obviously not too heavy-handed. I don't want anyone to get, like, super sick. Right. Because it was a long meal. Okay, well, that's good. Because yeah, otherwise, yeah. I would have... No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, not at I all. I was reading it like, how many courses? <laughs> Over the course of three weeks, right? Yes. Ooh. It's like super, it comes in a little <laughs> shot glass every every course. Mm-hmm. Um, unrelated to food, you can find all kinds of moisturizers and creams, including a cannabis lubricant that claims to help women orgasm. Can't speak either way. Nope. On that one. Zero personal knowledge. Zero personal knowledge. Um, okay, the thing with pot edibles is they are quite strong, or they can be, and the high is quite, quite high. Mm-hmm. Um, few overdo it anyway. In small doses, the high can be quite mellow. For people who have little to no experience with them, you can get into trouble fast, mm-hmm. or actually slow, but suddenly. Oh, yeah. Um, after Colorado became the first state to legalize marijuana in 2013, weed-related emergency visits in the state jumped by 57% compared to two years earlier. Oh. And according to one doctor, when asked about it, most of it was because of edibles. Yeah. The thing is, is that when you inhale cannabis via smoke or some sort of vape, what have you, some of the active compounds in it, like THC, enter your bloodstream through your lungs, and from there, they can cross the blood-brain barrier almost immediately. So, like, boom, you feel it. Uh, within 30 minutes, the effects peak, and within three hours, they will taper off. But when you ingest cannabis, the, the cannabinoids are pulled first from your digestive system into your liver, and from there into your bloodstream and your brain. And one of the things that your liver does is process THC into a more potent hydroxylated compound. Even in smaller amounts, this 11-OH-THC seems to affect people more strongly and for a longer period of time than regular old THC, and you wind up with way more of it from edibles than you do from smoking or vaping. Right. Another factor, depending on your personal body chemistry and how much you've eaten that day and what else is what whatever else is going on with your digestive system, it can take around an hour for the effects of edibles to start, you know, affecting you. And they don't peak for two to four hours. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot harder to, to gauge your dose. And impatient users may double down with another dose before the effects have had time to kick in. This is also complicated by person-to-person differences in the digestion process. Research shows that effective doses of edibles can vary from 2.5 milligrams of THC to 50 milligrams when you're using edibles. Furthermore, tasty things are tasty. And the temptation to eat more than you need based on food pleasure rather than, like, drug consideration uh, can get you in trouble. Yes. I have learned this lesson. Myself, 
Um, not the, I won't say the hard way, the interesting way. <laughs> <Me>. <laughs> um, my first experience making pot brownies, I, <laughs> I like tried some of the batter. Sure. And then I had the brownie and it was good. Uh-huh. And I wasn't feeling anything for a while. So I had another oh, one. Oh, no. And, uh, by the, by the night's end, I, uh, thought that there was a huge hole in my floor and a whale was going to come out and eat me. So I ran out of my apartment. And then I decided, you know what? I could really just go to the Atlantic Ocean right now. Oh, my goodness. And I could just walk there. Wouldn't that be cool? That'd be so cool. Annie. And my friends were, like, running after me. Annie, no! <laughs> oh, I'm really glad you had friends. <laughs> oh, no, no. Yeah, definitely. And they stopped me. They they talked sense to me. And then I had a job interview the next day. <laughs> was it with? The company that we currently work no. for? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it wasn't. I will say I did not get the job. <laughs> nope. <laughs> well, I think that's fair. Yes, it was very fair. I had to leave in the middle to go vomit. Oh. Yeah. Oh. I've never had that before in a job interview where you've had had to say, excuse Pardon me, me. <laughs> for a moment. It yeah. wasn't great. So, yeah. So, le- lesson learned. Do Don't, I mean, you're, it's, it's. Highly, there's never been a case of of, of anything as serious as death uh, during a marijuana overdose, but certainly the psychoactive properties can get you into that and, and even more serious trouble. I did read one troubling case about a young man who um, who died yeah. from from being too high. I he jumped off a balcony. Yeah, so, uh, I mean it's it's a drug, and you should definitely um, exercise caution. Very much so. Mm-hmm. Uh, a popular saying with edibles is go low and slow. <laughs> For the inexperienced, 10 milligram serving is the recommended amount, but mm-hmm. a lot of legal products go with half of that or advise to try half a serving and to wait four or so hours and to see how you're, how you're doing. Mm-hmm. However, a 2015 study out of the American Medical Association found the THC labeling on edibles was accurate only about 17% of the time. Ooh. Yeah. Um, there are edible makers working on decreasing the time it takes for the high to hit, including a company called 1906, whose chocolates are equipped with rapid delivery technology. Huh. That is their phrase. Okay. <laughs> they want to create a product that's sort of the light buzz of alcohol as compared to the total blitz of getting wasted. Sure. Which I can appreciate. Absolutely. Um, oh, and also, these for sure should be kept out of the reach of young children. Oh, yeah. Because they look like candy. Some of them do. I mean, and they are, but a kid won't know that this is not the candy they're used the to. The candy experience they're looking for. Yeah. Right. Some states have laws preventing marijuana candy to be popular in popular candy shapes like bears to make it easier to differentiate or mm-hmm. to at least like not look so appetizing to mm-hmm. children. A study found that the number of cases of poisoning due to edible consumption of kids under five saw a five times increase after it became legal in Ooh. Colorado. So, yeah. Be mindful, and kids are pretty ga- crafty when it comes to getting candy, so be extra mindful. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Keep it, keep it locked away for sure. Yeah. And a little kind of interesting thing I found from another study, most women surveyed preferred edibles as opposed to smoking to avoid appearing like a stoner or pothead. Huh. Yeah. I just thought that was, hmm. All yeah. right. Okay. Um, there are so many studies about the health and medicinal use of marijuana in general and edibles specifically, mostly to do with pain management and as a sleep aid. There's a long history of women using 
edibles for PMS pain, and even for morning sickness. And unfortunately, the science on how this drug can be used medicinally has been very hampered by its illegality in the United States and other countries, which we'll get into later. Um, as laws are changing, though, more research can be done, which is good news for everyone. Mm-hmm. Knowing how stuff works is great. Yes, it is. According to data and anecdotes from legal dispensaries, edibles account for around 25 to 60 percent of sales, and that translates to multiple billions of dollars. And researchers suggest that these numbers even underrepresent total consumption of edibles due to the untracked use of purchased cannabis or cannabis oils to create homemade edibles. Right. In 2016, legal marijuana sales here in the U.S. was upwards of $6.7 billion dollars. By 2021, that number is expected to reach $20 billion. There is almost no other industry to compare that increase to. Yeah. The only other one I saw listed, I think, was cable television that had that kind of growth. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's pretty serious. Mm -hmm. Uh, For reference, leader of the PAC Colorado has 529 medical dispensaries and 435 recreational joints. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> we try to hold back, but it's so difficult sometimes. <laughs> We're only human and very bad pun maker ones at that. <laughs> All right. While we think about what we've done, um, mm-hmm. let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor, and then we'll get into some of the history of edibles. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, 
The more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. As far back as 10th century CE, people in India were drinking a mixture of ghee, milk, and ground-up weed called bong, which I got really excited earlier and was like, is that where bong comes from? Is that where the term comes from? Yeah, because it's B-H-A-N-G, so. Yes, but I looked it up, and it comes from Thailand, I believe, a Thai word for like a pipe. Oh, okay. Um, There you go. And you might drink this if you're having trouble sleeping mm-hmm. or to improve your appetite. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes the ground-up weed was boiled with sugar, but a lot of times it was not heat-activated and eaten raw, the weed that is. Emperors in ancient China drank cannabis-infused tea, and nomadic tribes enjoyed majun, which was a jam of nuts, dried fruits, spices, and hash. Hashish was featured in 1001 Arabian Nights. Uh, hashish or, or hash being a, a resin of yeah. some of those compounds that I was talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. A 1474 book published in Italy called On Honorable Pleasure and Health included a recipe for cannabis nectar. This was written by an Italian scholar and member of Pope Pius II's College of Abbreviators, and the recipe went as follows. <laughs> <clears throat> To make cannabis yourself, more commonly used as flax for thread, use a mallet to crush clods, buds, (laughs) collected after a good harvest. Add cannabis to nard oil in an iron pot, crush together over some heat, and liquefy into a health drink of cannabis nectar. Carefully treat food and divide for the stomach and the head. Finally, remember, everything in excess may be harmful or criminal. Oh. <laughs> that was in the recipe. Yeah, good. I mean, good advice. Yes, yes, I think so. Famous French writers like Victor Hugo, Alexandre Dumas, and Charles Baudelaire were known to enjoy a sprinkling of hashish in their coffee during the 1840s. And there was even a club in Paris they frequented called, translated, Club of the Hashish Eaters. Straight to the point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Hashish Eater by New York author Fitzhugh Ludlow came out in 1857 all about his experiences with a hashish tincture. As far as attitudes toward weed in the U.S., here's a quick rundown um, that doesn't always relate to food, but since you need the weed for the edible, kind of important. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. In the U.S., beginning from pretty much when the colonists arrived and up until the end of the 19th century, the government encouraged hemp production, mostly for the use in sales, ropes, clothing. And in fact, the Virginia Assembly passed a law in 1619 dictating that every farmer in the state grow hemp. Huh. In Pennsylvania, Maryland, and Virginia, hemp was permissible to use in payments legally. 
Once the Civil War had come to an end and other materials largely replaced hemp in the making of goods, and we had more and more hemp. By the 1800s, medical marijuana grew fairly common in the U.S., and you could buy it sans prescriptions at a pharmacy. Still no recreational use, though. That didn't happen until the arrival of Mexican immigrants after the 1910 Mexican Revolution. And now we get to all the racism surrounding marijuana, and a lot of this is going to sound very familiar. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of it. Yep. Fear of Mexican immigrants grew in the U.S. as more arrived, and this encompassed things that they brought with them, like recreational marijuana. The marijuana menace, anti-drug campaigners called it, and they claimed that Mexicans who were high on marijuana were committing all sorts of terrible crimes. And keep in mind that this is also around the time of Prohibition. So similar to alcohol, there was a large demand for black market weed. But this meant that the amounts appropriate for edibles or, or the edibles for you and the time it took to hit all like that information, that very helpful and key information, yeah. was lost. Um, and also, also keep in mind that the 1906 Pure Food and Drug Act labeled cannabis as poison. That's why that company I mentioned earlier is called 1906. 1906. Yeah. Along comes the Great Depression. Who do people like to blame during hard times? Or really any time, but hard times specifically. Immigrants. Yeah, those other people. Yeah. Um, U.S. fear of Mexican immigrants and marijuana swelled, and this caused the government to take notice. Several studies came out around this time that pinned marijuana use with deviancy, violence. Um, most of these marijuana-induced bad behaviors were linked to these studies attested racially inferior or poor people. So was in studies. Um, the Federal Bureau of Narcotics, the FBN, was created in 1930. A year later, marijuana was illegal in 29 states. A year after that, in 1932, the FBN put the impetus of marijuana control on the states with the Uniform State Narcotic Act. Yeah, so just super targeting of, of Mexican immigrants and also black communities, especially those connected to the jazz movement where marijuana was particularly popular. Right. Reefer Madness, a propaganda film that basically is trying to say, try marijuana, terrible things will happen to you, kids, came out in 1936. That same year, showing narcotics in films was banned by the Motion Pictures Association of America, the MPAA, behind our movie rating system. Then, in the 19, in the 1937, <laughs> in 1937, the American Congress passed the Marijuana Tax Act. And what this did was require any individual looking to get weed to pay an excise tax and only for an authorized industrial or medical use, which pretty much criminalized it. Marijuana was removed from the U.S. pharmacopoeia in 1942, signaling that it was no longer considered medicinal. Mm -hmm. A study out of New York Academy of Medicine in 1944 claimed that actually we did all this research and marijuana is not in fact linked with violence, crimes, or increased drug use. Around the same time, hemp was part of the Hemp for Victory campaign in the U.S., vital for making military items like parachutes. Farmers were given draft deferments so that they could grow hemp with seeds that the government was handing out. And this resulted in 375,000 acres of hemp grown by 1943. With the war over, 
It was back to business of criminalizing weed, and stricter sentencing laws were passed in 1952 and 1956, including mandatory sentencing for marijuana offenses. First-time offenders would face a minimum of 2 to 10 years in prison and a fine that could be as high as $20,000. I mean, in 19—that's high now, but in 1950s. That's—yeah. Going back to that question we kind of touched on in the beginning of whether or not raw weed or um, can of butter, weed infused with oil or—yeah. Which one is more effective? Which one can you use to get the highest? We need to talk about Alice B. Toklas. And some of you might recognize that name as the life partner of Gertrude Stein. Mm-hmm. Toklas was born in San Francisco, but moved to Paris and became a part of the French avant-garde. She was an avid baker and would bake for some of her famous friends, Hemingway, Picasso, and Paul Bowles, who once wrote, The user of cannabis is all too likely to see the truth where it exists and to fail to see it where it does not. I have to think about that one for a minute. Yeah. So. <laughs> She had sort of a reputation for her pot brownies. And in 1954, the recipe was published in the Alice B. Toklas cookbook. The recipe was for hashish fudge and was borrowed from Toklas's friend and a friend of William S. Burroughs, Brian Gizen or Geisen. The name uh, hashish fudge is a tad misleading because the recipe contains neither hash nor chocolate. <laughs> nope. Instead, the recipe called for a teaspoon of black peppercorns, one whole nutmeg, Ooh. four Average sticks of cinnamon, one teaspoon coriander, dates, figs, almonds, and, quote, a bunch of cannabis sativa and sugar and butter. The final instruction advises you to eat with care as two pieces are quite sufficient. (laughs) (laughs) This recipe was later a part of the Peter Sellers film, I Love You, Alice B. Toklas. And the movie is about a lawyer that pops some pot brownies, I believe on his wedding day, I've never seen it, and decides he'd rather live with a hippie lady than his bride, but then he changes his mind and goes back to his fiance, and then they do get married. I don't know. But the, this movie is in part uh, one of the reasons that the pot brownie became the, the baked good you put your pot in. Huh. Yeah. I'm glad that that has an origin. Yeah. I always sort of wondered. I did too. I did too. Yeah. Uh, Well, we've got some more history for you coming up. But first, one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infinity QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. 
smart enough to anticipate your needs even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. And we're back in the swinging 60s. Oh, yeah. Yes, in a changing public attitude towards drugs. And marijuana use increased dramatically, but really only for upper-middle-class white folks. President Kennedy and President Johnson called for studies into marijuana use, and these studies found similarly to that one out of New York earlier. Marijuana did not lead to violence, crime, and there was no evidence it was a gateway drug. Mm -hmm. The Food and Drug Administration's Bureau of Dangerous Drugs merged with the FBN to transform into the Bureau of Narcotics and Dangerous Drugs. However, reading the room, Congress did away with most of the mandatory sentencing laws in 1970 with the kind of universal acceptance that they had done nothing to discourage drug culture. Marijuana was separated out from other narcotics, and all mandatory sentencing for smaller amounts was eliminated at the federal level that same year, 1970. Also that year, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws, or NORML, was created. Congress tasked Nixon with appointing a bipartisan committee, the Schaefer Commission, to investigate the effectiveness and usefulness of America's marijuana laws and came to the conclusion that personal marijuana use should be decriminalized. Nixon did not agree, but um, at least 11 states did, and most of the remaining others reduced the repercussions for being caught with marijuana. However, in 1972, Attorney General John Mitchell, yes, the one who would be indicted in the Watergate scandal, uh, John Mitchell marked cannabis as a Schedule One drug as part of the Controlled Substances Act, in which the federal government was ranking drugs by how dangerous they are. And Schedule One is the worst drugs, things deemed to have no medical properties and a high risk of abuse and addiction, like heroin 
is up there too. Right. Uh, There's evidence that Nixon was pushing for this as a way to criminalize the behaviors of his left-leaning anti-war opponents. Wow. (laughs) Okay, Nixon. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like a lot of history can be summed up by, okay, Nixon. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. Uh, Then in 1973, the Drug Enforcement Agency, the DEA, came into being, which was a combination of the Bureau of Narcotics and Dangerous Drugs and the Office of Drug Abuse Law Enforcement. In 1976, they supported a group of conservative parents that came together pushing for tougher marijuana laws um, and with the help of another group, the National Institute on Drug Abuse, the NIDA, Their voices grew quite loud and powerful, and they were a huge part in precipitating the war on drugs and the public attitude towards marijuana in the coming decade. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, the war on drugs. A lot of laws and acts restricting marijuana use and enacting harsher punishments came to be in the 80s, starting with the Comprehensive Control Act of 1984, which increased the penalties of dealing or possession of marijuana. Um, Both went up as the amount of marijuana went up and was equivalent to the punishment you'd receive for the same amount of heroin. This was followed by the 1986 Anti-Abuse Act signed by Ronald Reagan, bringing back mandatory sentencing. This was later amended with the three strikes and you're out, uh, sentencing repeat offenders to life and allowing drug kingpins to be given the death penalty. New president, same war. President George H.W. Bush's famous war on drug speech was televised across the country in 1989. And note that this was also highly racially motivated. Studies have shown that although black Americans and white Americans are equally likely to use illegal drugs, blacks are six to ten times more likely to be incarcerated for drug offenses. Yeah. California became the first state to legalize medical marijuana in 1996. This was probably helped along by Mary Jane Rathbun's movement in San Francisco to provide pot brownies to AIDS patients in the 80s and 90s. And that brings us more or less to today. Petitions to the DEA to reschedule cannabis have continued to go ignored, even though the DEA's own administrative law judge, when Francis Young, recommended rescheduling cannabis in 1988, saying... Quote, marijuana in its natural form is one of the safest therapeutically active substances known to man. By any measure of rational analysis, marijuana can be safely used within a supervised routine of medical care. Worth noting, uh, thanks to the war on drugs and the fact that people of color are vastly more targeted for selling possession and what have you, the current legal marijuana industry is dominated by white people, most of them men. But that is ever so slowly changing. According to a Gallup survey in October of 2017, 64% of Americans want to legalize marijuana, the highest percentage Uh, uh, since they started asking the question in 1969. And in very recent news, uh, previously staunch anti-pot politician John Boehner just this week joined the advisory board of a company that grows, processes, and dispenses cannabis in 11 states. Uh, this this week, as of we're recording this on four twelve. So yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And as Annie said earlier, that the legal market has been predicted to hit twenty billion dollars by twenty twenty one. And I saw another prediction that it would be seventy five billion dollars by twenty thirty. Wow. Yeah, my brain can't comprehend. Nope, can't can't do it. <laughs> 
Oh, and that brings us to our guest, Becca Grimm. So if we can have a guest segment transition. We are here with Becca Grimm from Dope Girls. Thank you so much for joining us, Becca. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and Dope Girls? Sure. Uh, So I am just, you know, a freelance editor and writer and as my profession. And I write for a lot of different companies like GQ and Glamour and Nylon and uh, uh, Rolling Stone and NPR Music and stuff like that. And um, Dope Girl Zine is a project that I started with Rachel Hortman, who's now the art director at Atlanta Magazine. But we started the project when we were both working at Creative Loafing, just sort of as a way to do something fun outside of work together and also just kind of like to find the intersection of kind of art and like cannabis culture and some social justice too. So our zine raises funds for Planned Parenthood Southeast and sort of unites feminism and cannabis culture. Uh, We are about to put out our fifth issue, hopefully this week. It should be at my house any second now. Super exciting. Uh, And that issue features writing from from writers like Kristen Arnett, who is based in Orlando. She's a really excellent novelist, nonfiction writer, or fiction writer, rather. And um, we also have work in the past from Alana Massey and Nona Willis-Aronowitz and Eve Pizer and a ton of really talented folks. It's very exciting. Yeah. What what kind of stuff do they typically write about? Is it all kinds of a wide range of stuff? Yeah, it's pretty wide range. We started doing themes for issues or for the different volumes starting at two. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of falls in line with that. The last one that we put out was all about sex. And so there was just, you know, we had a piece from a woman who was in her 60s about like how she has kind of become like asexual, but like not in a sad way. Like, mm-hmm. And so that was really interesting, different sort of point of view. Mm-hmm. And also within that context. Um, and then the issue that we're coming out with this week is uh, themed after genius. And so that follows a variety of different topics. Um, Fifi Sun, who's a local writer here in Atlanta, she wrote a piece about kind of cultivating her relationship with cannabis in art school which is something we can all relate to, <laughs> feeling like a stone genius when you're 19 listening to the White Stripes or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then uh, we have also uh, Sydney Gore wrote a piece about how she grew up in a predominantly white high school and how she felt certain pressures to be like a quote-unquote smart black girl. Mm-hmm. And that like sort of led to the genius. And Amanda Mull, who's another super talented writer, wrote a piece that was just sort of an ode to her nail tech who just gives her, like, these super amazing, like, pretty, oh, wow. beautiful nails. Yeah. So it definitely runs the gamut, and we try to always include, like, some poetry element in there, too. We have something from Nasi May Barani, who's, like, an old friend of mine from high school, now out in Los Angeles. Um, but, yeah, so we just include all sorts of stuff. And we only uh, use writers and artists who are women or non-binary, that we take money from dudes if they ever want to <laughs> donate. So just saying, like, if sure. they want to be involved, oh, yeah. they can. Yeah, no, no, that's it's, it's excellent to be able to have a platform like that, that you can raise those voices that have not necessarily always had a, a platform for speaking, especially on something like cannabis culture, which I think is, it, am, I, am I wrong in that I think it has like a, like a masculine kind of concept out in society? Some of the research that we were doing um, yeah. said that women perhaps they, like edibles more because of they don't want to be perceived as, as stoners. 
Yeah, I think that that has definitely changed a lot in the past few years. When Rachel and I started the zine in April 2016, that wasn't really something that we saw happening that often. Rachel doesn't really even smoke that much weed. She maybe smokes like three times a year or something. So it was uh more my issue where I was just like getting annoyed that I was like only sharing joints with everyone's boyfriends at parties. (laughs) And I, but I knew, you know, a lot of other women who smoked and still had productivity and like there was, you know, rolling out of these new sort of like beautiful shops like Tetra that are collections of these like, you know, pieces of art that you can smoke out of instead of like some creepy balloon animal looking thing. (laughs) And, And I mean, yeah, like... I think that the sort of stigma and the idea of the, like, quote-unquote stoner is sort of dissolving in general because now with, like, decreased, like, stigmatization, I think that people are feeling more open to it. And now I'm sharing joints with just girls at parties, and it's great. But, yeah, (laughs) that's heartwarming. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So this episode was about edibles in particular. This is a food show. Mm -hmm. Um, so what's your experience with them? Um, I was reading some, uh, this article about vegan stoner shares savory spicy carrot mac recipe. <laughs> that sounds, well, it sounds lovely. Um, yeah, just what's your experience? What are um, some cool things in the works or just uh, any kind of random nuggets of information you have about edibles? Yeah, uh, so I have pretty like limited exposure myself to legit edibles. Like Mm -hmm. I did have a column for Mary Jane where I was talking to different chefs who work with cannabis in their cuisine. And so that was really interesting, sort of like doing a QA and a with them and compiling recipes. But uh, I guess like my first experience with edibles is very similar to other people's where it's like you make some trash brownies in college (laughs) because you don't want to spend money at the music festival on food and you're eating it even though it has like chunks of weed in it. And yeah, (laughs) but it's potent, you know? Sure. Um, But uh, (laughs) I mean, yeah, so now like my experience with edibles, like I was doing monthly dinner parties at my house where I would hire this woman who would make like these really dope like vegetarian meals with like different levels of infusion. And that was really fun. Yeah. It was a cool experience because like that, you know how a lot of times I find the reason people don't like cannabis or getting high is because they get hella paranoid. They have like one experience where they're like, at a party and like looking around, you're like the couch is breathing. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of nice um, being environments where everybody's stoned because it kind of like lowers the barrier to entry. One of the really cool aspects of getting high with women is the barrier to entry to get closer is already so much lower. Like that's why it's easier to make like female friends. You get into more like emotional, serious topics earlier, and so I think it kind of like helps lend that sort of openness to men as well in that sphere. So it's kind of neat to be surrounded by other stone people because you're not like, wow, somebody's looking at me because I'm really high. It's like, no, they're no, really high too. We're all just here together. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But um, yeah, so, but I think the edibles market is changing. Like obviously, you know, the adult use law that passed in California has been changing a lot of things, even though that's kind of changed the game for a lot of edibles companies that were previously in these dispensaries before. And now they have all these financial hurdles to clear, but you know. With that comes room for more innovation oh, sure. uh, in the legal states. But there's still definitely an edibles community in Atlanta, like, if you know where to look, you know. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you you did some science, some research for us about what was the word you used? Oh, yeah. So it's decarboxylation. I always wanted to say decarboxylization. That just sounds like a little too much like a space gun or something. Yeah, <laughs> So that's basically um, a lot of people don't understand that 
to make edibles, you have to, you know, you know about like the weed brownies or whatever. You have to infuse some butter with the weed, but you have to decarboxylate it first, which means that you cook it at a very low temperature for a long period of time. Like traditionally what they say is at 220 for 30 to 45 minutes. And that's the process that releases the THC, which is the psychoactive cannabinoid in weed. That's why, as Annie and I were talking about earlier, you don't chew on chunks of weed. You light <laughs> it with fire. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah, because otherwise uh, the THC is still one of its precursors. And yeah, you need to heat activate it in order to do that thing. Yeah, exactly. And so then through that, um, you know, then the cannabinoids can be absorbed through digestion. So that's that's some of the sciencey thing. But if you cook your weed too high on um, like over 300 degrees, then you just kind of decrease the integrity of the cannabinoids and terpenes. Huh. Terpenes are sort of like the smelling notes right. in cannabis. Oh. So um, I, I don't have a lot of experience with, I actually, I'm one of those people who doesn't really like weed and I've had a couple bad experiences with it and mm-hmm. uh, I've never kind of come back around to finding ways to enjoy it, partially because it's still kind of illegal. Um, right. So I don't have a whole lot of experience with uh, with different kinds of edibles. It's basically like, you know, like like whatever someone has happened to bring to an event. Uh, right. But, uh, but can you talk at all about some of those flavors in, in different strains of, of weed and some of the chefs that you've had the opportunity to talk with about how they can use those? Because there are so many different uh, flavor molecules that are going on in, mm-hmm. in strains of cannabis. Yeah, uh, as far as I can tell, the terpenes don't really lend a ton to the actual edibles, like flavor profiles. Like there's definitely, you know, two different camps of chefs when it comes to edibles, it seems like, where there's the ones that are like, this does not taste like weed. And that's like the big thing. That's the goal. Yeah, exactly. It kind of reminds me of how like a lot of people who like deal with like vegan cheeses, like this one melts. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's like, no, this doesn't taste like weed. Yeah. But then there's the other chefs that use the natural sort of like, piney, like, or, like, kind of, like, skunkier, green or earthy sort of flavors of cannabis to, uh, you know, complement other flavors in their dishes. You know, I think one of the major reasons why people are freaked out by edibles, you know, because they have, like, the one or two scary experiences, but, you know, it's all about dosing and knowing what you're getting. That's the sort of deal with cannabis in general, and that's one of the issues that's sort of annoying about, you know, buying weed in Atlanta, because, yeah, somebody could, like, put something in your hand, they're like, this is OG Kush, and you're like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. But, you know, um, you would never go to a bar and ask for, like, one alcohol. Right. <laughs> so, like, it would be kind of the same sort of thing as if you drank a pint glass of vodka when you were in college and had a bad experience, which it sure doesn't sound like a good one, then you just <laughs> never drink alcohol again. Like, it's definitely a difference between a pint glass of vodka and, like, a well-mixed cocktail that's, like, in the appropriate glass. Right. Because yeah. I think that, you know, especially whenever you're first introduced to cannabis, a lot of times the game plan is just to get, like, as stoned as possible. <laughs> right, yeah. sure. Which is fine, and plenty of adults do that, but I think that there's different ways that you can kind of parse it out to do what you want it to do. And that's kind of, like, where um, the terpenes come into play, where some of them will be, you know, manipulated to make it more of a mellow high mm-hmm. or... More of like an active high. Some people get stoned and go to the gym. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, it depends on the application to it. Like the way I would smoke if like I was just at home like watching a movie with like a friend is very different than if I was just going to like take a little hit and like go running. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of different uh, pieces of proof that show that, you know, cannabis access is something that could really help us as a society. There's been a lot of research done about like how it could help with like the opioid crisis 
that sort of epidemic, like getting people weaned off of like really intense pain pills. Right. Yeah. Uh, in addition to just treating other things like insomnia, like I got my dad some like really heavy like indigo oil to help him so he can just sleep. He's not like going to turn up or whatever, right. you know, <laughs> that I, I wish he would, but, uh, <laughs> but, you know, so I mean, there's all these practical applications for it. And I also just think like as a person who struggles sometimes like with alcohol, like it's an alternative that won't, you know, make you as dumb as you would with something mm-hmm. like alcohol. Like yeah. if you get too high, then you're just maybe going to not respond to a text and like eat too many corn chips. Like, right. You know, but if you get too drunk, then yeah, it's you very fly off. Yeah, very few people are actually violent on weed. Yeah. And so I think that just losing the stigma just helps us, like, actually respect it for the ways that it can be used in responsible ways. It doesn't have to always be about, like, who can get the most stoned or, like, just becoming, like, a total burnout and never doing your job and falling through on responsibilities. It's a totally legitimate way of just relaxing, and plenty of people do it. And it doesn't rule their life. I wanted I wanted to bring up uh, I I've I've noticed and I, I read an article that you wrote for Splinter, um, uh, and you've been using the term cannabis pretty mm-hmm. exclusively. Uh, could could you talk a little bit about uh, about the change from the use of the word marijuana to the use of the word cannabis? Yeah, sure. Because I was pretty reluctant until I learned about some of the like racist background of the word marijuana. Because the word cannabis just sounds like. Some, like, really smarmy guy like, in, like, your grad class, like, you know, <laughs> yeah. who just, like, wears, like, an oversized sweater, kind of like the one yeah. I was wearing before I came in here. And his name is Chad. Yes. And, right. <laughs> for sure, Chad. I'm All s- the Chads are angrily writing us <laughs> emails right now. I'm sorry, Chads. I'm <laughs> sure some of you are nice. <laughs> yeah, it sounds, like, kind of, like, snobby. And so I was not really into it for a while until I learned some of the racist roots of the word marijuana, like, because all these rich and powerful people, like um, Robert Hurst. Uh, who had stakes in the paper company were really Mm anti-hemp. And that was, like, coming up on the rise. So that was a whole thing. And then the reason they were using, like, the term marijuana is because it sounds, like, exotic. Right. And scary if you're, like, xenophobic and trying to keep drugs off of the radar or whatever because you don't want your paper to go out of sale or go out of business or whatever. So I think that that's been sort of, like, the change of events in calling it cannabis more to just make it be seen as a more serious option and alternative. It's not just marijuana or, like, you know, <laughs> wacky tobacky or whatever. Like, even though I, I call it weed, too. But, um, you know, a lot of people use cannabis for, like, strictly medical efforts, like I was mentioning oh, with my dad and yeah. um, plenty of other people. And I think it's really important the way we use sort of, like, intention around language when it with regards to cannabis because, like, we were saying before about it being destigmatized, like, even just terminology like California was very explicit in saying adult use as opposed to recreational. Right. Right. I interviewed Dr. Dina a while ago. She's like, you know, apparently who they based Nancy Botwin off of on weeds. And she's, oh. she does a lot of cool stuff in the community uh-huh. Uh-huh. besides selling weed to Snoop Dogg. But, <laughs> but like, she said to me, she was like, because I, she was the first person who corrected me. I was like, yeah, when rec passed. And she's like, first of all, I was happy she corrected me. But she was like, I visualize with recreational, like a toddler going down a, playground slide with a margarita right (laughs) and I was like that makes sense because like you know we don't call it like adult use alcohol or recreational alcohol because again you don't have to like get faced every time you drink it could be a compliment to your meal or it could just be winding down from work yeah like you don't have to excuse that behavior the way that we still feel like we have to excuse use of cannabis Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And I think we're still like working as a, you know, society to develop sort of this language to not make it so clunky and like forceful. Because even just like cannabis, like I can see other people looking at me too, where I just feel like I look like... (laughs) Like, like, oh, my God, I look like Chad. Yeah, I look like Chad. I got to get rid of that sweater. (laughs) But, like, you know, I think that we're, like, developing a language to help sort of reflect where we are at with a society, as a society about cannabis. Um, Like, we still don't really have, like, a word for somebody who uses it because there's endless ways to ingest. Like, you know, this episode is about edibles. Like, some people only eat their weed. Mm -hmm. Some people only vape. Some people use topicals. Some people just smoke joints. Like, you know. I literally have some weed breath, breath spray in my bag right now. Some people do that. <laughs> hey, yeah. You know? So, I mean, we don't is really— Is it also minty? Is it, is it fresh? Yeah. Oh, I can man. show it to you. <laughs> the podcast takes a turn. <laughs> oh, it's so cute. It's really—I, like, actually used it, like, the other day before a second date because I didn't have any gum. I was, yeah. like, gnarly. I was, like, I hope this works. And, <laughs> and it was fine. You know, it was— it was like chill measures, but um, that's good. That's good. The the packaging I, um, to to describe this for everyone who's listening to this audio show um, is it's it's just it's it's really cute and slick. It's just this cute little cardboard tube. It's got sort of like a faux wood grain thing going on on the handle. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, yeah, that's delightful. Yeah, cannabis stuff is stepping it up with um, aesthetic, and that's something that I think is like helping people take it more seriously too. And that was something that we wanted to do with Dope Girls, like. Mm-hmm. create like a beautiful product that didn't make people feel weird or ostracized for reading their use. this yeah. zine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. It's it's a thing that we that we talked about when we were recording the 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 main part of the episode like we we kind of we kind of like like giggled about like oh man we're doing an episode on weed at the top of the show and then at the end of the show like we were like we we were I don't know it's it's hard to get away from that feeling of immaturity mm-hmm. even just discussing it and I'm just really glad that you guys are are doing work like that to to help bring bring about the uh, larger concept of a of a weed culture. Yeah, well, something I think about um, a lot when people kind of classify cannabis or just smoking weed in general as like something that you go through like a phase in middle school. Right. Um, I always think of the OC. You know, oh, the, the classic yes. classic <laughs> episodes uh, where you know I guess. Seth develops, like, a stoner habit and, like, Summer catches him and she was like, I'm not in middle school, like, to him about smoking. And I think a lot of people still feel that way. But, I mean, at least personally, I don't just because it is such a part of, like, my day-to-day life and so many people, like, in my direct community who I think are just kind of, like, badasses in general, like, really killing it at their job, like, still, like, going to the gym, not just eating pizza all the time, like, that are just deviating so far from the stereotype that it's hard for me to kind of see it in that context. And I think it's starting to change overall. And, I mean, even in non-legal states, as evidenced by our events, like, it's not just all people that we know. There's people, like, kids a lot younger than us, like, and, like, also people who are a lot older than us and just kind of all different types. And so... I mean, it is deeply, like, you know, female at our release parties and, like, different events and stuff like that. And that, to me, is, like, really reassuring because it's not anybody that I would have thought of if you asked me, like, even five years ago, like, to define, like, a stereotypical stoner. Right. Mm -hmm. I think it's just, like, not edgy anymore. Huh. That's—oh, I I don't know. Like, I'm I'm sort of 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 two minds about it because, on on the one hand, um, I'm— excited that that's happening and I'm excited that legalization is uh, bringing the opportunity to for, for people who 
who enjoy using it to to, to use it or who find medical uh, medical uses for it. Mm-hmm. That's great, but but also like there's this kind of like like capitalism warning light blinking about you know like like a like like John Boehner joining the advisory committee of um, whichever whichever organization whichever distribution mm-hmm. organization he just joined. I'm like oh oh hey um you know super upper class who has been putting the lower class in jail for this for years. It's nice that you believe in it now that you can make money off of it, but you'll... Yeah, well, and I think that that is something that is going to happen with anything that you can make money off of. Like, you know, we are benefiting off of, like, okay, cool, now I can buy really cute rolling papers or I'll buy me a weed bath bomb, which there are lots of them. <laughs> you know, and that's that's dope, but that's because there is money to be made. And so with that sort of opportunity for, you know, capital gain, like, there's going to be all these different efforts to kind of personalize it and for different markets. And like the female market was not really part of that yet. And and I agree. Like, you know, yeah, there are a lot of like money hungry people. Unfortunately not Nick Lachey. He was gonna get into it. Not anymore. Oh. Um I know. I really was like oh. banking on doing a profile on that too. Oh but man. Maybe next time. But I mean there's there's money to be made and that is like largely, you know, kind of handled by like rich white dudes. And that is disrupting a lot of longtime, like, generationally owned cannabis farms on the West Coast. Like, I know some people personally affected by that because, like, now there are all these extra laws and, like, hoops to jump through and all these different, like, financial hurdles to clear as well that it's going to be – is very – you know, possible that it can be monopolized by some major companies. Absolutely. So it's sort of the same way that uh, with 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 organic foods and, and other food labeling like that, where farmers who had been using those practices for, for decades on their own farms suddenly had to go through these certification processes mm-hmm. and they can't label their products as organic unless they go through this tremendous expense. Yeah. Um, so they wind up not doing it. And the companies that were using other methods of production like Monsanto kind of places, you know, have a lot easier of a time because they have the cash to spend and mm-hmm. they helped write the laws. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Having a hand in like lobbyist pockets like is always going to be helping out the rich dudes. And, uh, you know, and that's been like another tangential sort of like journey for cannabis farmers, especially those who do it only organically because there isn't a way of certifying it as such now. So, you know, would you want to spend X amount for an eighth versus like twice that. Right. Yeah. Where it stands pesticides, but there's not really like a um, sort of class categorization process to get that sort of labeling. So it's just, I mean, it's it's an exciting, interesting time for cannabis, uh, especially because some of these different states are doing more efforts to deal with the incarcerated, like nonviolent offenders. Uh, and Dr. Gina, who I mentioned before, she has a nonprofit called Freedom Grow that does a lot of work for that. Oh, that's really cool. Especially because we just look at how these people, you know, like we were saying before, like, you know, older white dudes are just kind of like white moms doing like, you know, <laughs> like mommy marijuana and stuff like that. And I'm like, a, I'm a white person, too. It's something I'm aware oh, sure. of. But, you know, people of color are so much more targeted by these laws like we've all seen the ACLU study about black people being four times as likely to be re- be arrested for cannabis oh, crimes. Yeah. And you know, especially living in the city of Atlanta, I think it's something that you have to be hyper aware of. Um, and, you know, and it's great that the de- decriminalization passed, but we need to look out for the people who haven't always felt like that was the case. Of course. Yeah. It's kind of like a check your privilege moment. So I don't know. It's it's hard because like cannabis is kind of like a fun thing where it's like, "Woo, gummies." 
let's get stoned and do this thing. But then it's also like you have to think so much too about like race and class and gender and how that all goes into it. Yeah, absolutely. As as with everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, truly. I mean, I hope that we keep continuing to put out work and like bringing people together because, you know, obviously like getting all that money to help get people in our you know, in the American Southeast, access to healthcare is really important. And that's one of the most rewarding parts. But probably the second most rewarding part is talking to people after parties that we have. And they're like, I met the coolest girl. And like, <laughs> it's just like, I like to see friendships formed and like other people kind of like connecting over like, you know, interest in feminism and cannabis use and reproductive justice and, you know, just like minded people who are from all different walks. And that is really encouraging. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how how can people get involved? Where can they find you? Oh, yeah. Well, so we're on dopegirlzine.org. Mm-hmm. That's where uh, you can pre-order Volume 5. We still have Volume 4 and some other stuff, and you can just always reach out to us through there. And uh, we have uh, the Volume 5 release party at the Brigadine and Argosy's back room on May 10th. It'll be a lot of fun. We have raffle baskets with, like, cool swag, like, awesome, really cool bowls from, like, um, Miwok Jr. and Tetra and a lot of neat stuff. Yeah. yeah. I well, think Lauren and I will probably <laughs> be there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so hey, 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 Atlanta or surrounding metro area, um, <laughs> come come on out to come on out to Argosy's back room, the Brigadier, on May 10th, he said? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It'll be fun. Yeah. Um, one final question, unless you've got one, Lauren. I'm I'm tapped. All right. <laughs> um, just a favorite edible that you've ever had. Favorite edible experience. Ooh, yeah. yeah. Um, I was in Joshua Tree in February, and I don't know if it counts as an edible, but I got this. I went to this beautiful um, dispensary. One of my best friends, Aaron, like drove like an hour to Palm Springs so I could see it, and uh, it was just like ah, walking in there, <laughs> like because I had never been able. Well, I mean, yeah, it was beautiful but uh I was just like kind of grilling the bud tender and she hits me to this really good like grapefruit soda with weed in it and so I mixed it with rosé with my friend Erin and her other friend Akima and we just drank it in the hot tub in the desert and it was dope that That sounds amazing really delightful yeah it was like it was nice it was calm you didn't feel like you were super heavy and you didn't feel like does my dad really love me like (laughs) it was just like just enjoying (laughs) the vibes of the desert (laughs) Well, excellent. That sounds amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for inviting me. Of course. Yeah. Um, wanted to include this tweet. We got a couple of weeks ago from mm-hmm. Smoky Cloud. Um, oh, he said a couple of weeks ago, a squirrel pilfered some weed granola out of my golf bag. If you need hilarious stories for the edible <laughs> episode. <laughs> and yes, thank you very much. For that. Because, it, yes, that was a, a wonderful mental image. It was. And I felt bad about how hard I laughed at. Yeah. <laughs> it gave us quite the chuckle. Absolutely. Quite the chuckle. And this brings us to... <sighs> Listener Mail. Oh, man, you super lost me there, but I love it. <laughs> I was trying to do something like... If you were high, maybe it'd freak you out. But um, I don't know why I'm a terrible person. Um, first of all, Karen sent us this suggestion about salt. Um, 
Y'all's custom blend of salt should totally be called aphrodisiac. It can have in it whatever you wish because <laughs> everything works that way if you really want it to, right? Yes. And totally stealing that idea. Food stuff. Aphrodisiac. <laughs> I love it. Perfect. I love it. So it gives us a lot of options of what we can put in there. It's going to be great. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Chelsea wrote, let me tell you a story. I work at a sign shop, and often I have to make signs that just make me shake my head and laugh. The other day, I was making a sign for a restaurant, and they had their salads listed with their ingredients. I had to stop what everyone was doing to discuss the specific ingredient. Lemon-massaged kale? (laughs) What kind of backwards hipster nonsense is this? Who knew that the next day I listened to your episode and got my answer to this mystery? Still, why does this kale get a massage and I don't? Very good question, (laughs) Chelsea. I never really thought about it, but I suppose ultimately the kale is about to meet its demise. Yeah. It's like getting tenderized for us to enjoy. Yeah. Still, still, massage would be nice. That's all we're saying. That's all we're saying. (laughs) That's it. Ed wrote, Recently, I was on a liquid diet due to a severely swollen esophagus, oh, which made eating solid food too painful to enjoy. I was searching for something interesting and cheerful to occupy my mind for the duration of a dog-walking job. I was ecstatic to see you had recently produced a Star Trek-themed episode! Exclamation point! I have been a true Trekkie since I was a toddler. I particularly appreciated Lauren's reference to the replicator's number of options for tomato soup. Being the nerd that I am, I immediately knew the source of this reference. Star Trek Voyager's pilot episode, Caretaker, when a frustrated Tom Paris orders hot, plain tomato soup! <laughs> Witnessing this made my nine-year-old brain want to try the soup. When I finally tried canned tomato soup at school, I was disturbed by the creamy texture and equally disappointed by the bland, milky taste. This was the first and last time I tried Tom Paris's favorite soup. Yeah. I think that's fair. I mean, tomato soup for me is basically a vehicle for grilled cheese sandwiches. Yeah. That's what I was thinking, too. And isn't that interesting? How did that become a thing? Well, luckily enough, we work on a food podcast and we can research this. (laughs) Absolutely. We should. (laughs) We should. We absolutely should. Um, Thanks to both of them for writing. Thanks again to Becca Grimm from Dope Girls. Totally check them out for being on this show with us. Mm -hmm. Um, And you, too, can write us. Our email is foodstuff at howstuffworks.com. We're also on social media. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at FoodStuffHSW or on Instagram at FoodStuff. Uh, We hope to hear from you. Thank you to our super producer, Dylan Fagan. Yes, you, Dylan. It's finally (laughs) your day. Uh Check check out his new podcast, The Question Booth. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks to you for listening. And we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. 
Visit Pronamel.com. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony DeLisandro. Billie's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like da 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 da. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it going to like? That's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. You deserve to treat yourself. So turn your tax refund into a U-fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and get a new Samsung Galaxy A14 on them. You can get a great everyday value on wireless with Straight Talk's unlimited plan starting at $25 a line per month for four lines. You'll save so much, you'll be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through 4-14-24 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk extended Silver Unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the Silver Unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.